The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach, put in context. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC, or, of course, tweet me at Jim Kramer. I've been thinking... Maybe we spend too much time focused on COVID-19 or the election or the need for more stimulus. Even if all that stuff clearly matters on a day like today where the Dow lost 222 points, the S&P declined 0.3%, but the Nasdaq actually advanced 0.64%. Maybe we should leave room for something else. Maybe we should leave room for leadership, the kind that allows a company to transcend these macro obstacles and outperform through thick and thin. Leadership like the kind of leadership we're getting from Dr. Lisa Sue, the CEO of AMD. For those of you who have been living under a rock, and I'm sure some of you have, Lisa Sue may be the foremost executive of our time. She arrived in this country from Taiwan when she was three years old, whizzed through Bronx Science, a fabulous, difficult magnet school, then went to MIT, where she picked up a bachelor's degree, a master's, and a PhD in electrical engineering. In other words, she's a total East Coast heavyweight. And uh, after she worked at IBM, several semiconductor companies, and she came to AMD in 2012. She took over as CEO in 2014, back when the stock was trading at two bucks. At the time, AMD was an also-ran semiconductor play with one of the worst balance sheets of any publicly traded company. Many thought the business was destined for bankruptcy, but not Lisa Sue who is one of the most competitive people I have ever met. Even though her background was in engineering, she knew that before she could design new chips, she had to fix the busted balance sheet. That was the only way to be able to go after their arch rival, Intel. When Sue did raise the money, she got everything she needed. She reached out to me to set the record straight. She explained that my worship of Intel had to end because she was going to run circles around them. I told her I'd been an Intelaholic for ages. It was incurable. I even joked that Intel was keeping AMD alive by treating them with kid gloves to fend off potential antitrust enforcement. She didn't think that was funny. As the stock bounced around 10 bucks, it took me some time to realize that she was the real deal. 
Her roadmap to dominate personal computer processors and gaming chips was actually realistic. Then AMD moved into the rapidly growing data center space. Well, I'm glad I started pushing the stock aggressively to you, not just because it's made people fortunes, but also because this is maybe the most impressive turnaround in business I've ever seen. Somewhere along the way, Sue built AMD into a company that could indeed did surpass Intel. They now dominate the PC business. They're neck and neck with NVIDIA in gaming and the data center. Today, AMD reported a real scorcher of a quarter, far better than expected. Far, far better, actually. These results, they were the only news today. I think that this $78 stock could have easily wound up at $100 per share. Just a week ago, we listened to Intel whine about the tough environment. Apparently, it's only tough on Intel's side of the street because AMD's got 56% revenue growth. And that's an astounding number. That's accelerated revenue growth for a big company. However, that wasn't the only news today. We also learned that AMD is doing something that some of you may not have liked. They're buying Xilinx. That's a multifaceted chip maker, and they're doing it for $35 billion in stock. I find it a remarkable feat given where AMD was trading just six years ago. When I asked Sue about the deal this morning on Squawk on the Street, specifically the price tag, she explained that it's immediately added attorneys, day one. And it also brings her balance sheet up to where the company has $5 billion in its coffers. Why buy a semiconductor company with some data center exposure that's mostly known for its Internet of Things business, automotive, telco, defense? She said it's all about the TAM, and I want you to learn this, ta- this term. The TAM is the total addressable market. How much business there could be. She wants to shoot high in many different markets rather than being pigeonholed into gaming PCs in the data center. You know, to me, it, after initially being skeptical once again, I was convinced it made a ton of sense. Of course, AMD stock got slammed in the news down 4%, because, not because there was anything wrong with the quarter or the deal, but because when you do these big all-stock acquisitions, these arbitrageurs come out of the woodwork. These are guys who are selling AMD and buying Xilinx to take advantage of the gap between where Xilinx is trading and what AMD is willing to pay one day it closes. Others dumped AMD because they don't want to wait a year and a half for this deal to close as the company seeks approval from regulators all over the world, including China. So others, I think, though, doubted Sue's leadership, her acumen, her decision-making. If I've learned anything from the past six years is that doubting Lisa Sue's leadership is a big mistake. I think AMD's a buy right now, right here. And look, it's not just the the, uh, CEO who's making a difference. She's not the only one. I want to demonstrate that we have to think about CEOs and leaders as transcenders of the front page, because there is no shortage of great leadership in our uh, worldwide, but particularly American businesses. So let's take a really troubled one. Let's take Harley-Davidson. For years, this woeful company has been steamrolled by foreign competitors. Its expense structure was totally out of whack. Business felt like it was being run by dinosaurs. Old management for their old customer base. And then comes in CEO Jochen Zeitz. That's J-O-C-H-E-N Zeitz. I just want you to know the, the name. Why? Because he's a German. This is Harley-Davidson. He's German. Do you know in less than a year he's turned Harley-Davidson upside down? The man from Mannheim, Germany. Bringing in younger people. A female CFO. Changing the nature of the business and the culture. Gone is the expensive array of motorcycles that only appeal to the aging customer base. He's even brought in a chief digital officer to help reinvent the business, although he would say rewire, which is their term. We weren't sure of this one at first. Harley-Davidson did seem broken. But today we learned that Zeitz's unorthodox methods, they are working. The company generated its first upside surprise in ages, sending the stock soaring 22%. When you consider lean inventories, I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't the first of many, and I predict multiple upgrades for Harley-Davidson. Or how about Kevin Conroy, someone we've championed for years as he built exact sciences into a colorectal cancer screening powerhouse. You know what he did today? He bought the premier liquid biopsy business, Thrive, 
And he did it for $2.15 billion. It's a private company. We're talking about a multi-cancer blood-based screen, which for many doctors is the holy grail in this age of targeted medicine. In fact, Exact Science will compete with Grail. That's another blood-based screener. That was purchased by Illumina for $8 billion not that long ago. You know what? I think the much lower price tag for Thrive that Conroy got is one of the reasons why his stock, are you ready, soared and is downing 23% today. His company's the acquirer. Now, Conroy's built exact sciences into a major player in diagnostics, and Zeiss has turned around an ailing company that still has the best brand in the business, the aptly tickered Hog. And those are both major achievements. But when we're celebrating success around here, we have to celebrate the impossible, the cleaning of the Augean stables of AMD by Dr. Lisa Su, who then pivoted, turning and also ran Chipmaker into Prometheus Unbound. Yep, I had to go all mythical to tell the story of this legendary turnaround. The bottom line, I think AMD still has a ton of upside. You're effectively getting today's incredible, magnificent quarter for free. At these levels, I think the stock's a steal. Lisa Su is trying to build a semiconductor titan with aspirations well beyond the PC gaming and data center. I say bank with her and be grateful that you can go along for the ride. I say we go to Taylor in California. Taylor. Jim, how's it going? Not bad, Taylor. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, just calling to talk to you today about a stock I've been interested in called uh, INO. It's the company Innovino. Um, they're a promising pharmaceutical company. Things look like they were going great when they were hitting about 5X after I got in. Uh, but unfortunately, the FDA put their, F, um, their trials on hold, not because of any adverse effects, but just uh, they had some unanswered questions. It's been trailing on a downward trend uh, the last few weeks. And was but just Taylor, it worried I- me. Now, I know that because I'm from Plymouth Meeting, where they're from, and I know Dr. Je- Joseph Kim, but that worried me. I think that you have to bolt. I think you have to jump ship when that kind of thing happens. Uh, in the same in the same way that I feel I was concerned about Sorrento when their CFO left, there are better fish to fry, as my mom would have said. Let's go to Scott in Ohio, please, Scott. Hey, Jim, thank you for taking my call. Um, given the recent bull market in automotive, I wanted to get your thoughts on HMC or Honda Motor Company. They weren't on your list uh, in your article of now there's a bull market in anything auto, right. but they have. Uh, automotive sector, but also power equipment, power sports, and off-roads. Um, I wanted to know what your thoughts with their lower PE. I think it's okay. I've watched this stock do nothing for a very long time. I mean, honestly, I would literally prefer GM and Ford. Wow. I didn't think I'd ever say that. Let's go to Chuck in Texas. Please, Chuck. Hey, Jim. This is Chuck, Pittsburgh, Texas. Several weeks back, you said Clorox was your second favorite stock behind Apple. It was trading for 230 dollars and it dropped down to about $25 a share. What's your take on that? All right, now let's understand. I, 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 uh, Clorox had been one of my favorites, and it was a while ago. I owned it for the trust. I sold the stock higher. Why did I do that? Because I felt there were others that were now better in that space. I actually prefer Procter & Gamble right now, which is a little bit cheaper and has, I think, had a really amazing quarter. It's important to focus on leadership, people. Like the leadership we got from Dr. Lisa Su. AMD's got more room to go higher, even as it may be weighed down momentarily by its Xilinx deal. Oh, man, money tonight, when COVID cases spike, is it time to circle back to the <laughs> one say we always hear? Dead. Fang names. I'm going off the charts to find out. Then Raytheon says it doesn't expect commercial air traffic to return to 2019 levels until at least 2023. That's a year later than I thought. 
So how is the company positioning itself? I'm going to talk to the CEO after earnings. And with the election a week away and a new Supreme Court justice on the court, the Affordable Care Act may hang in the balance. I'm asking Centene how the company is positioning itself. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. In the wake of yesterday's hideous meltdown, what are you supposed to do with uh, today's action where, you know, NASDAQ was pretty strong. Well, let me take a look at it. Is the market reverted to its old pattern where massive COVID outbreaks send tech stocks roaring and drag down nearly everything else? That's certainly what it looked like today. Remember, we've been through this twice before. And every time these stocks have been written about as they're dead. When the pandemic first took the world by storm in March, the whole market collapsed. But then we bottomed and tech was the first sector to start bouncing, led by all the digital players that help us cope, uh, uh, help us cope with the lockdown. And then this new age of social distancing. Now, we saw something again similar in June when the second wave of covid cases exploded across the south and southwest. There was a big difference, though. We'd seen this movie before. Wall Street didn't panic like it panicked in March when it felt like the world was ending. The self was smaller, more contained. The Dow tumbled from 27.5 to 25,000 in a matter of days. Not great, but better than the crash in late February, early March, where the index lost a third of its value in a few weeks. 
At the same time, the tech-heavy Nasdaq only dropped 5% during that second-wave sell-off. Two weeks later, it was making new highs. But I will mention again that it was down 5%. I heard these stocks pronounced dead. Now COVID cases are hitting records again. And this feels like a similar pattern. The last couple of weeks have been less than stellar. Then yesterday, nearly the whole market rolled over. Today, the Dow and the S&P kept falling. Ah, but the Nasdaq already begun to rebound. And it did that. Yeah, about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock in the morning is when it really started moving. However, the situation is more complicated this time around, and not just because there's an election in a week. When the second wave hit, we still had all that federal stimulus money from paycheck protection loans for small business to generous jobless benefits. Oh, boy, that's not the case anymore. No stimulus. On the other hand, we're now seeing some encouraging M&A activity, like AMD buying Xilinx for $35 billion to expand into communication chips and cement their position in the data center. What else? Well, the big tech leaders have run up substantially since June. And this week, we got earnings from some of the most. We're going to get earnings for every one of these companies, frankly. Microsoft just reported terrific top and bottom line beat after the close today. Boy, it was really gorgeous. And, of course, it was fueled by its red-hot cloud business, Azure, although the stock initially didn't budge. I think those who own it and my Chapel Trust owns it do okay. Then on Thursday night, get this gauntlet. We hear from Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and and Alphabet. That's the tech uh, titan formerly known as Google. Yet, Fang reports this week, with the exception of Netflix, which we already heard from. And it was disappointing, by the way. So what the heck do we make of these big tech names? Well, my gut says you should view any additional weakness as an actual buying opportunity. But we know this is a fraught moment, an emotional moment. At times like these, I am always telling you to take your emotions out of the equation. And that means falling back on a more quantitative, less emotional approach. And that's why we're going off the charts with the help of Katie Stockton. Oh, she's a brilliant technician. She's the founder and managing partner of Fair Lead Strategies, which is a technical analysis firm with a great newsletter. This is the first time we've featured Stockton's work on the show, but she's a veteran chartist, more than 20 years experience. She was the chief technical strategist at BTIG before she started her own firm. Congratulations, Katie. And she has been a lot on CNBC as regular guest. Most importantly, Stockton's feeling sanguine about FANG plus Microsoft minus Netflix. So take a look at this daily chart of the relative performance in FANG plus M index versus the S&P 500. We know Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, and Microsoft have given us terrific absolute gains, but they also keep leaving the rest of the market in the dust despite the fact that I hear way too often, I keep emphasizing this because I've heard these stocks pronounced dead endlessly, and it's hurt you, and I'm trying to keep you from being hurt. What else? Check out the stochastic index down here, will you? This tells you when something's getting overbought or oversold. Remember, oversold means it can bounce. Thanks to the recent sell-off culminating in yesterday's wipeout, Stockton points out these big tech names are collectively very close to short-term oversold. And those are the great conditions that we've only seen this four times this year. In other words, FANG came down too far too fast, which means it could be due for a continued bounce. Stockton also likes the 50-day moving average. And there we see that that's in blue. OK, uh, it's moving higher, giving you a gradually rising floor of support. OK, uh, the 200 day moving average reveals the longer term uptrend. It's well above that, but that's OK. That's OK. It shows real strength. I love this chart. Now, this whole group got hammered in September. So we got fooled uh, with the red hot IPOs. Remember, they deluged us in order to get in on those deals. A lot of investors rang the re- register on, on these stocks. I mean, that was how they had enough cash to buy the new stocks. While the group's rebounded from September lows, it's basically spent the last month going sideways. But in Stockton's view, this period of consolidation hasn't blunted Fang's momentum. The group just 
took a breather before the next leg higher. All right, what do we see when we drill down to the individual FANG names plus M? Wow, this is pretty. When you look at the action in Facebook, by the way, Mark Zuckerberg is testifying tomorrow in Congress, so I'm sure there'll be negative headlines. They shouldn't. Stockton notes that the stock saw a short-term breakout last week on positive relative strength. So don't let whatever said in Washington input what this is doing here. This is unemotional. As she sees it, that's a good setup going into Thursday night's earnings report. Facebook's behaving like it wants to go higher. I think that it could take out that high. That's my experience. Don't forget, Twitter is reporting soon. And we saw unbelievable numbers from Pinterest. And we saw fantastic numbers when we looked at the overall group. But Snap really led it. Okay, how about Alphabet? Same story. The parent company of Google also gave you a short-term breakout last week with good relative strength. These are picture-perfect charts, people. Apple, Amazon, and Netflix, now they are a little different. Apple and Amazon, well, let's see, they've spent, this is, Apple and Amazon spent the last couple weeks drifting lower. Stockton points out that going into today's session, they were both giving you oversold readings on the stochastic oscillator. That's, that, that, take a look at this. The first time that's happened for either of them since the September lows. And, uh, okay. and I, I think that when you get the oversold position like they have, this is stochastic put up here, you should get a bounce. But these, this chart, frankly, is not as good as the other charts I just showed you. Right, how about the action in Netflix? Well, this one might seem like the fly in the ointment, given the company reported some disappointing results last week. And the stock plunged from 525 before the quarter to 489 right now. However, uh, stock point notes, stock notes that Netflix has a strong floor support in the 467 to 468 area right here. Uh, and that's down about 4%. But this is a weak chart. Some people would say this is a triple top. That's what I keep hearing when you add my own view into the situation. Throw in the fact that Netflix is a thesis stock. It's exactly the kind of thing people buy when they want to make a bet on the stay-at-home economy. And you've got a pretty compelling story. All right, let's look at the best one. And now it's a little hindsight, but let's look at Microsoft. It just gave you an amazing quarter tonight. And that makes me feel bullish about the rest of the industry. This is actually picture perfect. I think that if it broke down a little more, people would have said that it's a head and shoulders. No, it's actually, uh, as you see from the 50-day, held the support. Uh, put it all together. Whenever COVID cases spike, you had to buy the FANG names, and FANG plus M, of course, uh, because they all found ways to benefit from the pandemic. Can that game plan keep working? We need a gut check here. And the bottom line is that the charts, as interpreted by Katie Stockton, suggest that Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google and Microsoft, which again reported a great number tonight, are ready to roll higher after yesterday's beatdown for the broader averages. So you have my blessing to buy a little bit before they report on Thursday night. If you don't own them already, my Chapel Trust owns them all. And if they get dinged after earnings, I'm betting that they will be safe to buy into even more weakness. Think about how great that was to buy just right here. Don't give up on these stocks. Don't let people scare you out of them. And stick with Kramer. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Roughly two years ago, the old United Technologies decided to break itself up into three separate businesses. A heating, ventilation, air conditioning company called Carrier, an elevator company called Otis, and an aerospace defense company that would merge with Raytheon to become a Colossus. We thought it was a great plan that could unlock a tremendous amount of value. However, right before the breakup, COVID-19 hit, and that's been awful for the combined aerospace and defense business that is Raytheon Technologies. Their core commercial aerospace division is struggling at a time when airlines aren't exactly eager to buy new planes. Meanwhile, some investors worry the defense business could take a hit if we get a Democratic wave on Election Day, even though the military budget is taking account for both parties. Regardless, Raytheon gets no love. This morning, they reported a better-than-expected quarter, an $0.08 earnings bait, uh, beat off of a $0.50 basis, coupled with monster free cash flow. The analysts were only looking for $200 million. Well, Raytheon gave you over $1.2 billion. Still, commercial aviation was down 34%. Management's informal guidance was, well, let's say tepid. And that's why the stock tumbled more than $4 or 7% today. That said, sooner or later, Raytheon will be a phenomenal recovery play. We may not be there yet, but we need to be ready to anticipate it. So let's take a closer look with Greg Hayes. He's the CEO of Raytheon Technologies. To learn more about the quarter company's prospects, Mr. Hayes, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here as always. All right, so Greg, can you outrun your own major industry? Is there a way to be able to outgrow a business that we know is hit by COVID and we know is, uh, in some cases, by Boeing, by a special situation? So look, these are unprecedented times, Jim, as you know, but I tell you, you know, there's not much we can do to stimulate demand for folks to get on airplanes. Uh, we know, you know, getting on an airplane is probably the safest place someone can be. The, the chance of COVID transmission on airplanes is really, really low. We know all that, but people still don't feel safe getting on airplanes. And until they do, the business is not going to come back uh, to what it was in 2019. Having said that, I think the key for us is to prepare ourselves for when that recovery hits so that we can see the leverage on the upside, just like we're seeing it on the downside. And that's what we talked about today. You know, we have taken out about $700 million of cost in the third quarter on top of the $600 million in the second quarter. We'll take another uh, chunk, another $700 million of cost out in the fourth quarter. All of these things we're doing to prepare ourselves for when the market does recover to actually see a significant upside in margins. Uh, tough decisions, tough actions, but absolutely necessary. But you have enough cash flow to be able to, to uh, A, diversify and put more money into defense, or B, decide to go uh, buy another company that's down and out that you know is going to recover very quickly or return more money to shareholders. Which is the best thing to do right now? 
So I think the, the best thing that we can do is to take the cash that we have and continue to invest it in the business. To your earlier point, the defense remains a, uh, a significant opportunity for us, especially bringing both United Technologies, aerospace businesses, and Raytheon together. We see huge opportunities to take this jointly developed technology and solve some of our customers' most difficult problems. So that's priority one. I would tell you doing big M&A uh, at this point, uh, while there are some attractive targets out there, and you know, everybody knows I love a big deal, uh, just not a prudent thing to do. So second priority, I think, will be to start share buyback. You know, we ended the quarter with $10 billion of cash on the, on the balance sheet. Um, cash flow, again, will be good in the fourth quarter. Uh, cash flow should improve dramatically as we go into next year because of all these actions that we've taken. So we're going to have the flexibility to do what we want to do. Uh, but again, it's the investments for the long term, and then it's going to be sure buyback. At the same time, you've been making these divestitures of actually a very significant amount of money, not getting a lot of attention. Are there more to be done? Well, yeah, I, I think that there absolutely is. So today, you know, we talked about the, the selling of the Force Point business. This was a, a commercial cybersecurity business that Raytheon got into a few years back. What we found is that we just couldn't compete with the big boys. We didn't have the channel to market on the commercial side the way we did on the government side. So uh, we sold the, the business. We're going to get about a billion and a half dollars of net proceeds from it. On top of that, we got over two billion of proceeds from the divestitures of a couple of legacy businesses that we were forced to divest as part of the merger. So, again, the, the, the cash position is strong. Uh, there's always more to do, Jim. I think as we think about the portfolio, there are some things – uh, that probably aren't core to Raytheon Technologies. And, you know, we're, we're constantly looking at those things. Tough to sell in the commercial environment that we're in now, but there's, there's something on the defense side uh, that we don't think fits. Uh, we will continue to push on that. You know, Greg, there's a couple of issues that are nagging and niggling that, that people worry about. One, a blue wave, which I think you've done enough work to be able to say there's no change. If anything, there's more military spending. And then uh, these stories about how China is, has had it with Raytheon. But there really isn't a way to have it with Raytheon. So how do you diffuse these, uh, let's just say, um, things that people have in mind that may keep them from owning a stock? So let's, let's start with the political front. Uh, obviously, there, I know there is concern that defense spending will go way down if there is a Biden administration. And frankly, I just think that's ridiculous. Now, defense has always been a bipartisan issue. And uh, when the Biden was vice president and previously a senator, I think he had a, a pretty good approach to national defense. He understood the need to work both sides of the aisle and to provide for the national defense. And quite frankly, uh, these are challenging times. Uh, we have lost our technological edge to the Chinese and in some cases to the Russians. And we're going to have to invest more dollars in some of these new technologies if we're going to be able to compete uh, with these new threats. So I'm not, I'm not worried so much about uh, defense spending going down. There's a national defense strategy document out there that lists 10 key technologies from hypersonics to directed energy. And we're right in the middle of all of those. So, again, I, I, I don't have a big concern there at all. Now, we are, uh, it, with this administration, friends with countries that are actually active in defending their turf, but also in being offensive to some degree. And I'm talking about, say, Saudi Arabia. Uh, we know that there's, uh, in, in Asia, we, uh, Taiwan just got a huge number, a huge order, because Taiwan does not want to be attacked. Uh, which I don't think is actually unrealistic, given how strategic they are. So, I mean, it's just, just an era where you can go, say, from 30 percent 
uh, foreign, 35% selling to foreign to, say, 50? So I think that's, that, that, that is maybe the biggest opportunity. You know, you asked me before uh, about the, the issue of the, the Chinese sanctions on Raytheon, which were announced yesterday. Um, this is a, just a natural um, conflict that we're going to have in our business all the time. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I, I think there's not going to be a huge impact on our commercial businesses because, quite frankly, um, the businesses that we that we sell into China, which are supporting commercial aircraft, are essential to the Chinese economy. And so we, we don't sell defense in there. I don't expect there to be much of an impact on our sales on the uh, on the commercial side. At the same time, you know, the the growing threats around the world are real. Um, I think, you know, we see it in Saudi Arabia last year with the attack on the airfield or on the oil fields, rather, uh, and the necessity of defending these uh, these targets. This is this is asymmetrical warfare at its best. You're talking about thousand dollar drones attacking multi-million dollar uh, oil facilities and doing incredible amounts of damage. So, again, there, there is a, a need, there is a desire uh, for our technology to help defend these, whether it's the Patriot uh, system, which mm -hmm. is the low tier air defense. Uh, as well as some of these uh, high-energy lasers that, we're, that we use to defend uh, these unmanned uh, combat air vehicles. There's a lot of things out there that I think promise to, to improve um, international defense spending over the coming years. Uh, one last question. I know United Technologies had a history of being at some time, sometimes the second largest provider of scholarships after the United States government. Is that something you've been able to continue at Raytheon Technologies during these tough times? You know, Jim, it is, it is one of the, the core values at, uh, at was at UTC and it remains at RTX. That is, we cherish lifelong learning opportunities for our people. Under the Employee Scholar Program, I think I've used these numbers before, we've had 44,000 people earn their degree, whether it's their bachelor's degree, their master's, or their PhD. We spent nearly a billion and a half dollars on that, and we're going to continue that because we think a better educator or the best educated workforce is the key determinant. Um, you know, companies don't innovate, people innovate, and you need the best possible people you can, the most highly educated. And this is going to be a, a, a cornerstone of, uh, of RTX for a long time to come. Excellent. Greg, it's always great to talk to you. Greg Hayes, the, the CEO of Raytheon Technologies, RTX. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you, Jim. Yeah. Take care. All right. Mad Money's back after the break. All right, what the heck does Centene have to do to get some respect around here? Here's a company that's one of my absolute favorite managed care plays, focused on government-sponsored health insurance plans. It's textbook Biden stock, frankly, at a time when Biden's maintaining his lead in the polls. Most importantly, though, Centene just reported a seemingly excellent quarter this morning, a classic beaten raise, and yet its stock ended up getting hammered, down more than 3%. How does that happen? Some of it's because Centene had run going into the quarter, surging from $53 at the lows late last month to 66 And again, that's, I think, related to Joe Biden's healthy poll numbers. Some of it's because even though Centene reported a monster 30-cent earnings beat off a 96-cent basis, most of that beat came from, some people say, one-time items. Take them out, the company only beat by a, by a penny. Plus, while they raised their full-year earnings forecast, it was only by 12 cents less than this quarter's upside surprise, which had some investors assuming the next quarter might be weaker. Uh, I think that that's a lot of hoops to jump through to paint a negative picture of some strong numbers. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Michael Nidwerf. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Centene. Get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Nidwerf, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Good to be here. All right, Michael. I People want to qualify your uh, gains this quarter 
as one time only. I'm looking at a $250,000 loss. I don't know if you know which loss I'm talking about. No, I don't. Let me... Um, Hold it. It's your charitable giving. Yeah, that's not a loss. What happened no, is I know. we got... I'm just saying, I'm yeah. saying that you are not getting... No one's talking about that. And I'm determined, no. given what you do in life, to mention it. Because that's the kind of thing we need. And I'm doing it not last, but first. Thank you. If you look at the press release, we, we gave a four counties, all kinds of boxes. We, we dropped it down to 97 cents, taking out the one-time gains, which is, as you put it, based on consensus. I don't look at consensus, but I'm told it's a penny better than consensus. The one-time gains was the, uh, the settlement with the federal government, $427 million thereabouts. We took part of it, and we're reinvesting in fourth quarter, for the Medicare and other new products we have coming out. And I took $275 million of it, because you get no credit for one-time gains, and put it in our foundation so that we will be able to support medical research and give the money back to the communities in which we, we live and work. So that's what it's all about. And uh, we, we gave, we, we'll give away about $15 million a year. Wash U, we sponsored $100 million in research over 10 years. Uh, we're doing pancreatic research with the Mayo. Uh, so there's a, we feel a strong obligation to do that type of thing. All right, so today, Exact Sciences, a company I like, uh, bought a business. And the business is about uh, diagnosing, diagnosing cancer from uh, what we call liquid biopsy. Is that the type of thing that they talk about? You would have a meeting about it, Centene, and say, listen, we have got to get people to do this in order to be able to reduce the cost of fighting cancer? I think if we know something that works, in fact, what we're doing with Mayo is to focus on uh, the markers for pancreatic cancer, of which there are none. Anything we can do that they can diagnose cancer sooner What's great about it is it helps the individual who has the cancer. The earlier you get it, the more you can do, the more curative you can, it can be. So we would support anything of that nature that makes sense and helps the individual identify sooner what the cancer is. All right, let's talk practical, and we have to do a little political thinking, and it's not my, my strength because I don't like it. But uh, you and I both know that there are areas in this country where no one wants to write insurance. Why? Because the system was set up to be able to adjust so that there would be incentives. If we get the so-called blue wave, do you think that there will be changes in the way the Affordable Care Act works so that there will be reasons to write throughout the whole country and not leave holes like you and I know exist in this country? Well, yes, I, I do. And we are writing throughout the whole country. I mean, we're in Nevada and there are some remote areas where they had no coverage. And we went in, spoke with the government, the, the administrators, and we did it. So we're, we're, we're in multiple states. And we could, when we do it, we try and do the whole state where we can. So I think it would. And we have some plans we're going to advance. And sometime when you have some time, I'll walk you through it. We have right. some plans that would really improve the marketplace product. But you make the point, or maybe this is what you allude to, on page nine of the transcript, that you like a competitive environment. Now, you are a business person, sir. I've never heard a business person say they like a competitive environment. Well, I was, I was in consumer package goods, Alcazar, so one of the SOS, everything outside the U.S. You talk about something that's competitive, that's competitive. And I do like competitive environments. It makes us better. It helps build the market. 
And we, when you're number one, like we are, you do very well in a competitive market. Okay. You know, so, if you have time, I'll give you a quick, I'll give you a quick antidote. My uh, father was a dermatologist and allergist. A new dermatologist worked, opened up across the street, across town. He thought, oh, gee, I'm no longer the only one. Right. He was so much better than the other one, it made him look good. Well, there you go. I like that story. All right, now, I, we, we got to deal with realities. It's not just the election. The Supreme Court is about to rule. Texas versus California, I like that, because those two are at war inter, uh, psychologically, philosophically. Uh, what do you do? How do you plan? Will you be able will Centene triumph no matter what? That has been the uh, emphasis of Michael Nidorf as far as I as long as I've known you. I really believe that we, we have the capability to adapt to what the environment is. And what we insist on is making decisions as the facts are today to try and say the what ifs and I'll do this or I'll do that. No, let's look at the facts and then make a decision. That's why we're large in the marketplace. We're the largest. Well, that's why I think that you're worth a lot more than you're selling for. But anyway, that's my view. One day, we, yeah, one day you know we're going to be right. That's Michael Nidorf. He's chairman, president, and CEO of Centene, a giant company that you better start learning about because it fits into a lot of people's portfolios. Man Money is back after the break. We're in the mask. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Okay, so what's that about? What's about cold round? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski that down the lightning round. Okay, so I'm gonna start with Jamie in New York. Jamie. Yo, yo, yo. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Calling from Fairport, New York. All right, man. Uh, five months ago, you said you were pretty bullish on Slack stock, uh, symbol work. I'm wondering if you still think they can compete with the big boys. They were just downgraded by one analyst. I'm wondering what you well, think. Well, they were downgraded because it really is true that Microsoft is just slitting their throat. Now, Microsoft reported today, I've got to go and listen to the conference call to see if they directly impact Slack. Slack's fighting back. But boy, what a tough competitor. What a tough competitor. Let's go to Mario in Illinois. Mario. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I uh, wanted to ask about uh, Palantir. Um, this this like stock is day, now but... finding its place. I felt it came too cheaply. I thought it'd be worth it, uh, maybe 20% more than it's selling for. It's starting to move up. I think the stock can see 12, 13. It's a good company, and it's got a good book of business. Why don't we go to Krishna in Wisconsin? Krishna. Booyah, Jim from Wisconsin. All right. Hey, thanks for all you do for investing community. You're I'm welcome. Time listener, first time caller. Uh, Jim, what's your thoughts on ADT? It has Google partnership and Google has 7% Second-rate company. Never invest in a second-rate company. Could it bounce from 7 to 10? Yeah, sure. Anything can bounce. But I've been against this company even when they announced that deal. I thought it was time to sell. And that's been right. And I am still not saying it's time to buy. I need to go to Lori in California. Lori. Hey, Jim. I want to send you a big booyah for my kids. I like I'm a first-time caller but a long-time fan of you and your show. Thank you very much. I'm very excited. My question is, what do you think of United Microelectronics Corporation, UMC? Good Taiwanese company. Just a good good Taiwanese company. It's going higher. Uh, I I think that it's in a a very good space. You want to be there. Uh, In the same way, I'm going to throw in Taiwan Semiconductor and give you two for Why not? I'm in a very generous mood tonight. Let's go to Nick in Massachusetts. Nick! Jim, how are you? I am good, Nick. How are you doing? Great, thank you. 
Last year we spoke about EPAM and it was a great idea and a great investment. Tonight I have another company that I don't hear too much about ever on your show, uh, which has had very good earnings and I think is in the sweet spot with all the things that are needed for the vaccines and all. And the company is West Pharmaceutical Services, WST. Well, I don't think it's really up there in terms of being, I mean, it's okay. It's got some good healthcare products, but it's not a it's not in the league with a lot of the others, but it's got a three times uh, multiple over uh, about some of the, you know, J and J. That's not that's not for me. Uh, that's not for me. Let's go to Zach in Pennsylvania. Zach. Hey Jim, thank you for everything that you do. We're just getting ready for Dallas this weekend. Yeah, I know. We got, got a quarterback there. I I had to Google the guy, the Dallas quarterback. Google him. I Google didn't have him. I had to go to Bing. What's up? <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm a little worried. Last week with the big miss. And I'm looking still long-term on this stock. My stock is Kimberly Clark. You know, I didn't like the quarter. I mean, it was a big miss. I mean, come on. It should, they should have shot the lights out. I mean, Proctor did. Uh, I am trying to get my arms around that quarter. As the stock goes lower, it does indeed get che- cheaper, and it's going to stabilize soon. But that was disappointing. And, and, you know, these consumer packaged goods companies, they're not inexpensive. So, uh, but here in 17 times earnings, long-term, I think you can do it. But it's, geez, I'd rather own Proctor. I need to go to Andy in Texas. Andy. Booyah from Austin, Texas. Oh, I like hey, Austin. Jim. Hey, Jim or Mr. Kramer, how would you like it? I'm talking, uh, well, I'm asking about G-I-L-D. It's Gilead. I got to tell you, I mean, I have been against this stock forever. Every time it raises its ugly head, I just... Including recently in the remdesivir. Will you give me a break? They need real growth. That's what they don't give us. And that, ladies and gentlemen, English of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. When does a speculative stock become mainstream? When you speculate, you're betting on a vision of the future. Those stocks go mainstream when they reach a point where the future is now. Usually it's when the underlying company's mass producing a product someone actually wants that they'll pay good money for. So look at the stock of plug power. Now, this one speculative hydrogen fuel cell play is going mainstream because the future's here, not 10 years, not two years from now, but here, right now. For years, I've warned you away from alternative fuel schemes, especially hydrogen fuel cells. Every now and then, they get a bunch of hype. Then nothing would come of it, and the stocks would go right down, and people would be apoplectic. A decade ago, that was true of plug power, but not anymore. Now it's the real deal. I know because last night, CEO Andy Marsh told us his company's already deployed 35,000 fuel cell units, mostly for forklifts, uh, to diverse group of customers, including FedEx, Walmart, Home Depot, Amazon, ATT. Those are name brands. You know, it used to be that this technology was too expensive. Now it's cheaper than the alternatives. Plus, it doesn't hurt that plug power helps these companies meet their commitments to reduce their carbon footprint. Public companies didn't used to care about climate change. That's no longer the case. We've got tons of businesses that are trying to become carbon neutral as fast as they can. Plug Power helps them get there faster. And this is absolutely a factor in in the success of this company. Amazon recently came out with a document titled Driving Carbon Out of Our Business, where they make it crystal clear that they want to stamp stamp down emissions across the entire company. 
Earlier this year, we met with Sadi Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, just for a great quarter. And he talked about how he wants his suppliers to reduce their carbon footprint. Not just his company, but their suppliers. You think FedEx doesn't want that business? Well, they better play ball. Microsoft plans to be carbon negative by 2030, which means their suppliers have huge incentives to invest in clean energy like plug powers, fuel cells. A month ago, Walmart declared that they want to become a regenerative company. By regenerative, they mean they're targeting zero emissions by 2040, including their long-haul truck fleet. Yep, over the next 20 years, they're going to electrify their trucks, which is music to plug power's ears. Same goes for Lindy, the industrial gas behemoth with a big hydrogen business, not to mention Cummins, the engine maker that's begun working on hydrogen-powered vehicles that just support a very good quarter. Now, there are plenty of other plays in the hydrogen business, and some of them are even worth betting on. But they're still speculative. I know I'll be bombarded on Twitter with them, but I, they're not producing anything at scale the way this company is. Plug Power has gone mainstream with its forklift batteries, and I'm confident they'll be able to deliver something for long-haul trucks not that far from now. Why do I believe in this one? Well, it's in part because Andy Marsh, the CEO, used to work at Lucid. That's the old Bell Labs, where he helped develop the cellular networks that now rule the world. From the time he got started in the 80s to the time he left the telco industry in 2007, wireless went from a pipe dream with phones the size of car batteries, to a massive global business where everyone has a cell phone. A lot of people had early smartphones. Marsh has now been at Plug Power for 12 years. 12 years. 12 years at Lucid. 12 years here. Can history repeat itself for the clean energy business? Right now, I think we're still in the gigantic, unwieldy cell phone stage for hydrogen fuel cells. But we're rapidly heading in the right direction. And you know what comes next. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.